0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage, this is episode number 221 featuring my good friend Matan Abel, uh, Virtual Art Department Supervisor at Happy Mushroom. I have known Matan for a long time, <laughs> it was crazy because we were working with uh, uh, with him on this project and he's like, hey Chris, it's been a really long time, I was like, oh my gosh, Matan I haven't <laughs> talked to you in like 15 years or something crazy like that. But uh, he's a really, really cool guy, uh, and I—I th- I thought he was—you uh, know—he's—he's he's always been a good guy. What did you think of the podcast, Kristen?
1: Oh, this was—it's was a great podcast. I liked how you guys started off with you had interviewed him. Was it what, for one of his first jobs here too? That was funny. Yeah, about it was that. his
0: first job. His <laughs> first yeah. job in visual effects. Yep.
1: Um, and then I also liked how he, (laughs) he's not into cars, but he loves lighting them. That, that was a fun story. Um, and then, uh, he also worked with Alex Nice, who was on this podcast on the John Wick three glass scene. Um, and that's where he got like into real time and the virtual production. Um, yeah. And, and I liked his little story about like him working in China and just kind of overcoming all the cultural differences from language and time zones. Um, it was just an interesting story. So. Yeah, it was yeah. a great podcast. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. absolutely. Like I mean, like I said, I, I've known Matan from long, long ago when he was sort of first starting his career in visual effects, and I did hire him. Uh, and I, I always loved his attitude and the quality of his work. Uh, he's one of those guys who just does his work. He does a great job, uh, and uh, he's got a great sense of humor, and is just part of a great team. Uh, and it's really great to see it. It's really nice, honestly speaking, when you see someone like that who you've known for a while and then you talk to them again and they're like, you know, supervising and doing really great work. Uh, it's really nice to catch up with them and see see how how awesome a job they're doing, especially, you know, and, and I learn a lot from Matan now because he's really been sort of involved heavily in the virtual production uh, world and doing that kind of work in virtual production. So it's really great to see him sort of flourishing in that area. Um, yes. Love to have him on and uh, great to see him uh, doing so well over at Happy Mushroom. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, so Kristen, uh, we don't really have any announcements just yet in terms of events. We will mm-hmm. be having some uh, probably next week. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, for now, um, if you guys want to find out anything going on in terms of events uh, uh, in the coming future, just go to chaos.com slash events or any other news about chaos just go to chaos.com but if people want to know more about the podcast where can they go
1: you can go to facebook.com slash cg garage podcast or chaos.com slash cg garage
0: and if you guys oh, want to go ahead
1: you to say the mm-hmm. youtube.com uh slash chaos group tv is how you find us there
0: right absolutely and and you know definitely check out our YouTubes because you'll be able to see the people in person it's always a lot more, a little more fun that way and uh, they will be good but you'll uh, our our Facebook page also has the uh, the videos as well so again that's facebook.com graz podcast if you guys have ideas for podcasts or any suggestions of guests or anything of that nature or just some general feedback, Go ahead and email us, labs at chaosgroup.com. We would love to hear from you. And of course, your suggestions on Apple Podcasts are also welcome. Please leave us a rating and a review and share us with your friends there. All right. That being said, please enjoy this amazing podcast with my good friend, Atan Abel. Welcome to another CG Garage where the Chaos Group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket
1: drops We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range We know that ambient occlusion is passé
0: Global illumination won't lead you astray And while image-based lighting is really swell you need to make sure everything has fun now. Try to finally, I'm glad I finally convinced you to do this podcast. I want to know yeah. if this is the thing. So, uh, it has been a long time since you and I have seen each other. I want to say 2007?
2: I saw you Eight? in, no. So, that was Sway Days, right?
0: Right, right, right.
2: I saw you, I ran into you in a bar somewhere on maybe Santa Monica Boulevard, we were wrapping up a show. You, you were there at the time. I think you were working at DD. And uh-huh. I ran into you at a bar um, maybe 2012
0: time. Okay. Yeah, that would but be then, DD yeah, time. M-
2: most recently. Right. Like right, a right. month ago.
0: Yeah. So, but it's been a long, a long time since you and I have worked together. But we had a lot of fun, and it was during Sway, yeah. I believe. And uh, I think I was the guy who I, I was. You, I interviewed you, right? That, that was the.
2: That <laughs> right? yeah, uh, that really caught me by surprise. That was my my first job. I was really excited about getting into VFX, and V-Ray okay. was just coming into the scene, mm-hmm. and it was really really hot and I, and I really wanted to learn it and I downloaded your your tutorial. Actually, it was a DVD. I think I got the the physical even.
0: Oh, you didn't bootleg uh, it. Okay. nice. Thank um, you. <laughs> I don't remember exactly if I
2: had a CG Peers account at the time. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I had the physical. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, my first interview wa- walking walked into the door at Sway and there oh. is the the tutorial guide in front of me, interviewing me for my first job in VFX. So it really caught me off guard, but I was like, I was, I was struck. I was, I was starstruck, VFX right. starstruck at the time. Um, I think that helped me land the job. Were you? Were you uh,
0: I don't remember. What was the job we were working on? What was your first job?
2: That was with Paul Gezzo. He was okay. supervising a oh, okay. some kind of car job. I don't. I don't remember what it was. Was it the
0: Nissan like big gimbal shot thing?
2: It might have been the one. It was at the time where there was a giant rainbow effect that Attila had been working on in the studio.
0: Oh, I
2: don't. I don't you know, all the car jobs kind of like they all blend, blend into one for me. Right. I, I don't remember car manufacturers anymore. Right. Um, I really need to see the shots to to remember the jobs at this point.
0: Right, 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 right. Yes, I kind of, I kind of think I remember. I think I remember all that. Oh my god, that was it was a while ago.
2: Yeah, that was actually that job was my first and last hundred hour week on a project. Um, I don't know how many times you've done that. Um,
0: I've done some hundred hour weeks. Yeah. Yeah. They suck.
2: (laughs) Yeah, they really do suck. I was just, but I was so happy to get that paycheck. I'd never seen a paycheck that large before. And I'm like, yeah, with
0: overtime. Wait. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. hundred hours. Um, yeah. but I'm glad we as an industry kind of like went away from that for the time being, yeah. not seeing those kind of hours anymore, not even close. Okay. And even like 50, 60 hour weeks are getting more rare as well, which is really mm. nice. Okay. People realize, you know, quality of life.
0: Nice. All right. Well, let's, let, let's, so, so you said that that was your first job in visual effects. So let's have your little origin story. So what, let's, where did this come from? Where, where, where did it start? And I want to like, you know, young boy inspired by art. I mean, where does it, where does it, what, what happened there? What, what, what made you get, what took that journey there?
2: It was, <laughs> it, it probably started with video games. Um okay. I played games from the age of 10 and I still play them. They haven't mm-hmm. stopped. It's my mm-hmm my pastime and addiction. So um, it really started there. And I was at UC Santa Barbara for just general education. And I mm-hmm. didn't know what I wanted to do until I saw a TV commercial for the Art Institute to make video games. And I said, mom, dad, I wanna go sign up to an art school and learn game art and media art. Okay. And thankfully they were cool with it. I, I got into that, and passed through the program, um, right. started working. At a game studio at activision a teacher had brought me in and a mm-hmm. few other students and interestingly at the time activision had a a policy that if you'd get somebody hired at the company and the teacher had brought in like five or six students you'd get like a three grand check and he made them abandon <laughs> that policy because <laughs> he had just like a fantastic source of junior artists being a teacher right. at the art institute um so he got me into games i did that for about a year and a half and right. then got out of it and wanted to do vfx so started learning vray v-
0: so okay so you went from game so how long were you in the game industry for
2: that was a year and a half it was a a, a couple titles one of them being a call of duty title at treyarch mm-hmm. um the other one being i don't even remember the name street streets of new york or true crime, New York. I don't, I don't even recall the name of the, of the game. It was a studio called Luxoflux that I don't think exists anymore.
1: Right. Um, okay. but at the time,
2: I think I was making like 35 K and working like 70 hour weeks. Right. And at some point I'm just like, I, I need to get out. This is not, this doesn't feel right. Mm. Get out, get out of the games industry. Um, so yeah, that was, that was my games experience. Slow poly modeling and texturing and good group of guys it was it was cool it was really fun
0: right right but you wanted to do photorealistic stuff that was the thing you were aspiring right right Correct. up my okay.
2: game for sure all right
0: so 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 uh i remember we were interviewing a bunch of people uh I do, I do remember you coming in i don't think it was that you recognized who i was that made me hire you cuz that would be really shallow of me <laughs> i think that was a, what what got me to hire you is that, and you you still have this? Uh, you had a you have a really kind of relaxed attitude about things, and you didn't really sort of put on a lot of airs about things. Because I remember even some young guys who were interviewing people right out of school, they were like, "Boom, boom, I'm the best," you know, et cetera, et cetera, and it was like. That's, you know, okay, well, we'll see how you do with a hundred hour a week, you know, mm-hmm. like you, you managed to do. Right. Uh, and it was, uh, yeah, it wasn't that you had a, you had a pretty, you had a good attitude about things. And I was like, yeah, I think this guy, you know, we'll give him a try and see how he does. And obviously you stayed there. You were there for a while, weren't you? You were, you uh,
2: were a there. long, yeah, a long while. And I actually appreciate you saying that this is a theme that's come up recently and throughout my career of me being honest about what I know and what I don't know. Right. Um, and it's cost me jobs, frankly, you know, I, I don't know this piece of software, but I can learn it and right. it's not the most obvious first pick, but I'd rather be honest about that than show up on a job and have a supervisor, you know, seeing that I'm struggling or bothering people around me just to, you know, where's this button for that? I don't want to, I don't want to do that ever. Right. Um, so I'd rather not take a job if I feel like I can't do it from day one. Unless I tell them that you know it'll take me you know a couple of weeks to get into something like that, but um, yeah, I've kind of always had that approach. I never wanted to say that I knew something that I didn't know. Right.
0: So yeah, well, that's a good attitude, definitely speaking. And I I remember what was at I was at DD, and I have my first job at DD, and I was like, I don't know, I, I didn't know how to do something, and I went to my supervisor and I said, I don't think I know how to do what you're asking me to do, and he goes. Well, neither do I, but I think between the two of us, we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. like, like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, it's, <laughs> and,
2: it's like, and it's really, it's refreshing and it's yeah. really how it is. Like yeah. there's so much technology and there's so much new stuff every day. You have to pick things up and learn, yep. learn as you go almost,
0: which is yeah. a great way to keep it fresh. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. so I think that's uh, that's definitely cool for sure for sure. So you were obviously because you're at Sway, you worked in the car design and car commercials for a long time. That's probably yeah. that's that's mainly what it. was being done. You loved it,
2: yeah. Were you you a car guy? Yeah, no, I don't know anything about cars <laughs> uh, okay. at all. I couldn't pinpoint a model of one car versus versus another. I'm not into all their designs and features. I, I have no idea. But lighting cars is really fun for me.
0: Yeah. Um, and I learned well, that at
2: Sway as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean we had great we had people like Daniel Buck who'll teach you how to light a car like perfectly. <laughs>
2: Fantastic. Right. Right. And you know, you know, I, I still remember you showing me like this is what a, a paint flake looks like. And we look at it in the light in this way. Uh, and these are the values that we that correspond to our shaders. And I just really loved lighting cars. Um, right it's a fun experience and i think for me the like top of that is lighting a taillight it sounds so mundane but it's it's really intricate mm-hmm. and when you can make it look photoreal, it's like that's it i'm happy
0: yeah and well I that's all about that. the ray tracing right <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> for sure no mm-hmm. couldn't do that yeah, in the games industry at the time
0: you can't do that in a game yeah it's a that's a thing i remember actually talking to one of our customers that did cars, and they're like, "Yeah, real time is cool, and we can do a lot in real time. But when it gets down to a headlight, you need full ray tracing, and there's no way you can do that in Absolutely, real time. Absolutely, unless you yeah. just
2: like bling it out and and just like make it completely white or something like that. But yeah, you you want all that detail for sure,
0: right? Yep, it's true. It's true.
2: Definitely way to go with cars.
0: All right. So you were at Sway. Did you, when Sway, Sway there was a bunch of people from Sway and ended up going to Big Block. Did you end up going to Big Block as well? Or
2: No, not at the time. I did go there later in my career, but I think okay. after Sway was maybe Pixel Mondo. Oh, okay. Um, so straight into, or it might have been a 2012 film project at Uncharted Territory. A lot of Max Guys. It's where I met a lot of people in, in my career. Oh, so Max you went community. to
0: 2012. Yes, Okay. It's
2: part of that whole thing.
0: So explain it. Well, some people won't necessarily know what Uncharted was and stuff like that. So why don't you give people a little bit of a story behind that? Yeah,
2: Uncharted is kind of like a pop-up studio run by um, Vol- Volker and... Volker
0: Engel, yeah. Volker and Engel Mark- and, and, and Mark, Mark Weigert. Uh, Weigert, yeah. Weigert,
2: yes. And they run a pop-up shop um, and they work... I don't know exclusively, but they work regularly with Roland Emmerich in his right. films. Right. Yeah. So, and I actually worked on 2012 with them just a couple of years ago, or a few years ago, or not 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, Independence Day too. Oh, okay. Another another Roland Emmerich, I believe. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they had a pop-up studio. It was on the Sony lot, mm-hmm. and they crammed, you know, a bunch of Max artists and effects artists and compositors into into the Sony lot. Right. and we worked on that 2012 movie. It was about a yeah. year and a half.
0: Yeah, a year and a half. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Long. Yeah, and you guys—you guys were using, I think, it was Final Render at the time. It was a little bit. Yeah, painful.
2: I do remember that. They—I they, don't remember why they picked Final Render. It—it it might have been because some German. artists were more used to it. <laughs> There's that. That's a good theory. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. Maybe it worked out in the deal for them uh, at the right. time. Right. So. It was. It, did a, it was we needed to do.
0: Yeah, but it was a really good. I mean, obviously, the work you guys did was was uh, was really cool. I remember obvi- the big one that I think everyone kind of remembers that tw- that uh, Uncharted did was the 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 driving the limo through the city with the earthquake and uh, everything. I mean, that is an insane amount of destruction. It looked incredible.
2: It, it is insane, and I was building those houses with a couple other guys. Right. So we would. And we built them with no penetrations. So we would build the interior frame, the wooden frame of the house, fill in the insulation, put layers of like drywall, and then shingles and then you know dress up the whole house, all the roof tiling, no intersections, because for effect simulations, I don't know how it is now, but at the time you're doing destruction, you couldn't have those penetrations to have a good solve. Right. So we built those things from the inside out. And, um, funny thing about that shot is everyone had it on their reel at the time. Right. So I, I took a little bit of time after that movie and I didn't work. And then I went to go work and interview and people were like, I've seen this. In fact, the artists here worked on it and I'm like, <laughs> I worked on it too. <laughs> like I was there, I swear I modeled those buildings. Right. Um, so yeah you got to strike when the iron's hot. Once the work comes out, go, yeah. go get the job with it. Um, yeah,
0: ab- absolutely. Absolutely. And it was from everything from effects artists to lighters, to compositors, to, to uh, modelers, to yeah. everything. It's like 60 yeah.
2: people worked on one shot and you're like, yeah, so did I, I know you've seen <laughs> it a dozen times, but I also worked on it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, really good experience, and I'm and I'm friends and and colleagues with people from that project to this day. So
0: yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, Greg Sedilis was on it as well, and a couple other Greg, people, right? Yeah,
2: Greg Cedillis, um Alex Nice sat next to me, who I think you've talked yep. to uh, on this podcast.
0: Yeah, Alex and is awesome, and I Attila. You said you mentioned Attila. That's right. Yeah. Sam
2: Porshid yeah. was there, who I ended up working with and for in China oh okay um so yeah okay everyone came from that show
0: all right so you so so was that your first feature film
2: it was it was okay all right too long a year and a half you know i I, after that i all i wanted to do was go back to car commercials and i I was that that pace
0: so you didn't like the long pace, like the iteration after iteration of no. the same thing over and over no, again.
2: No, not yeah. at all. And I and I don't even, I don't even think that way with my art. Like I prefer to be done with a shot, and like push it through, get get it ninety five percent of the way there. Client is mm. happy, and, and go on to something else. Just just for the sake of interest, really. Right. Um, looking at a building and looking at a shot for six months, I, I drives me nuts.
0: <laughs> I did you have it, I that?
2: It. Did you have that kind of experience when you were working on films as well?
0: Yeah, or you liked it. Depending on yeah, it, it yes, I did. I worked on well. I remember very specifically. I had a I had a shot on Tron, which was also a development shot, which was, means it's a shot that they keep using to test the system. Like, okay, we have some new things. Let's te- let's use this shot to see if this is working. Mm-hmm. And I worked on that one shot. For like seven months, basically, I was lighting it, and I had a hundred and forty-seven versions of that shot that was going through the pipeline. It was, just, it was, you know, when you by get the time and it, by the time it was done, I was like really, really. I mean, that is an ex- really. <laughs> you know? I think we might have underbid that shot. <laughs> you know, it's like it was crazy.
2: Well, I'm sure it looked great.
0: It did, it, it did, perfect. and it wasn't necessarily a hero shot either. It was just like one shot that had a bunch of stuff in it, and I was like, okay, all the elements uh, you needed to test. Yeah, but it was, it was kind of, you know, those are those are things that are that are that are interesting. I, I I do agree. Sometimes it's a little tedious when it goes over and over and over again. You don't, you feel especially when you start to nitpick things. I think that's when it gets a little bit too much. But it's really hard to do. Like you, you know, you work on the, one of those big shots on twenty twelve. Uh, I can't imagine how much you have to look for in that shot, right? You're like, yeah. oh gosh, oh. I mean, you know, God
2: bless them. The compositors probably spent way longer on it than even the lighters, the lighters right. did, because you know, at at that time, and I'm not a compositor by trade, but at that time, I'm sure they were doing like whole back to beauty compositing, right? Every element broken out. I, I think compositors still do that these days,
0: sometimes Let, maybe
2: less common now. 3d looks not so good. not as
0: necessary not as yeah. necessary
2: yeah 3d looks so much better now out of 3d than than it used to i suppose right um but yeah they they spent a lot of time on those for sure going through right. every element through depth um yeah to make them look perfect so props to them
0: yeah, it's it's true. It's true, but I think there's a you know there's a lot to be to be to be said about those major shots where you know like oh suddenly it's great and then you know a shot like that one as you mentioned may have you know twenty thirty layers or or hundred layers of stuff and then yeah. one layer may have two bad frames and then you got to re render that. <laughs> you know. Uh,
2: I remember saying something about the transformers, like the the face or the eye of a transformer. And being able to select every element or piece of an eyelid or mesh and manipulate it at the time. And it was like almost too much. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, that's the level of control that I guess art directors and VFX supervisors want at the end of the day.
0: I think so, but I also think it's just like let's find let's put as much stuff in there as possible, so I can actually make a decision and delay that decision as much as possible, instead of just this is what you get. <laughs> you that's know a, what I mean? That's a fun one. If it's lit, if it's lit correctly, you don't need to do all of that control, right? No,
2: I guess it comes down to render time, though. Like, if it if it took like a tenth of the time to render, then you wouldn't necessarily need all that. Control. You could just right. uh, send off a new render, um, right. and I guess that that speed is speeding up. Probably, you know, this iterative process.
0: Yes, yes. And nice. I think I think what's also happening is, uh, 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 well, you know, look at Pixar, right? Pixar never had compositors for a long time. Did they not? No, wow. no, they didn't. They, they if 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 something was not lit correctly, just re-render it. <laughs> Like if that? it was too dark, yeah. re-render it the whole shot again. Uh, yeah, you and that's want, how it used to be.
2: The data, at the very least, if you're missing yeah, your yeah. data.
0: So most of the frames that you saw out of some of those earlier earlier Pixar films were like, that was final frame rendered out of what they had. But you know, it took a lot of energy to get there. Uh, and that's cool. That's, honestly,
2: that's where I want to be. I don't. I don't want to have to composite anything. <laughs> my own Perfect out of three D. Looks great. Yeah, uh, you know, lay in some atmosphere, some depth, and you're 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 good.
0: That would be Go nice. One of the next shot. That would be nice. Uh, there's a little bit of stuff that you can do in comp that's like, ooh, beautiful. Just a little yeah. little take the edge off, you know, something right. something that's not necessarily always possible in certain 3D applications. Don't say kiss it certain in certain renders. Yeah, just a little bit. You of You Made something. the
2: gesture, but the kiss it the kiss it in is something I've heard compositors say,
0: yeah, over yeah. and over. Which so, is basically yeah. to just 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 blur it a little bit. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: a little highlight the, right here. It, yeah, take the take the hardness out of that that shot. Yeah, well, okay, that's well that's cool. So 2012 was your big show, uh, your big uh, uh, feature film, which is a pretty big one. That's a pretty big one to get involved. In. Yeah, it is.
2: It is. It was, it was big.
0: So that's cool. And then uh, you worked on that for a year and a half, and he's like, "Okay, no more." And I don't want to get back. So did you go back into commercials after that?
2: I think I I think I did. Um, maybe more car stuff. But Mm -hmm. I actually at some point transitioned to Pixel Mondo and and they were doing a lot of film stuff as well.
0: Oh, okay. So you went to Pixel.
2: So I went to Pixel. And I've been freelancing this entire time. I haven't taken a full-time job yet. And I haven't for my entire career, except for my first job and my current job. So this is all just me bouncing around um, commercial to film project, commercial to web app thing. Okay. Um, so yeah. Got into Pixel Mondo and they had a bunch of film projects. Okay. And they were all cool and different. Um so one of them was like the last airbender, so a lot of water effects and ice effects. That was awesome. Um I worked on a nightmare on Elm Street. So it's like a blood like a blood soaked hallway filling up shot. That's cool. (laughs) So that was fun to do. And then Red Tails was like a lot of um, dogfights and bombing right. runs on the ocean and that kind that of was stuff. A, so that was There fun. was a
0: German World War II dogfight uh, show, like the Red Baron. It's about the Red Baron, right?
2: Uh, Red Red Tails was about the, I don't know if it was the first, but it was about an um, all African-American squadron of <sighs> Oh, right. That fighters. was a different show. Yes, yes, Especially yes. Actually, George now, Lucas, I think. George Lucas did uh, that, yeah. Produced yep. it, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was fun. That got me into like water simulations. I think at the time it was like I want to say Dreamscape was what everyone was doing water, water okay. for like mesh water, um, before Phoenix kind of came out with their shader. All right. But later, that was just like a perfect one-click solution. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, so a lot of oh, Fast and the Furious Five. That was a lot of set extensions. Nice. And um, tricky stuff with that. Some, some post moves as well, um, off of set extensions. So that was that was a fun show to work on. And those guys are great. All, also, all max artists.
0: Right. Pixo, is, is it still all max? I'm not sure. Probably most I think. They've, I, know.
2: I want to say they're, they've transitioned. Um, okay. I'm, not, I'm not 100% on that.
0: Right. OK. Well, that yeah. so 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 that was in their Santa Monica office, I guess, uh, uh for mm-hmm. Pixo, right? So it sounds like yeah. you did a lot of show at Pix a lot of shows at Pixo. You must I have been there a while. I yeah.
2: did. Um, no, it was a really good experience. I love those artists. We didn't have much of a pipeline at the time, from what I recall, but I feel like that's how you kind of earn your chops in, right. in, in 3D by not having so much of a. A pipeline to support you. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm glad for that experience, um, having to push through projects and not having the most robust tools available.
0: Yeah. What are your thoughts about pipeline? I'm curious. Like you know, because you have we've done some stuff where you know, pop up shops like uh, 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 Uncharted Territory, they can't have like robust pipelines or as because they just kind of like pop out of nowhere, right?
2: Right. Um, I'm f- I'm fine almost without it. I think you need the you need the bare minimum. What's the bare minimum? It um, probably project organization. You just need to, things need to be named correctly, and they need to be in the right place.
0: Right. So um, file, file structure and file names.
2: Correct. Um, okay. Aside from that, access to tools um, like company wide tools mm-hmm. is is necessary. Anything that we're using regularly, mm-hmm. and after that. Not much else in terms of the bare minimum. I mean,
0: some kind of a render queue. <laughs>
2: yeah. No dead, deadline would be fantastic. Deadline submission would be great. Yeah. Um, deadline has a lot of tools, you know, on its own to re and and resubmit and you yep. know chunk and and do everything that it does. So that's that certainly helps. Um, I don't know. That's it. E X R streaming. Uh, um, yep. Software.
0: Yeah, just a flip. Um, yeah,
2: <laughs> I mean, it can get really involved where you are. I guess rigging really gets gets into pipeline when you need to rig a lot of characters, um, right. and I can't speak upon that, um, but that probably necessitates a much bigger or more evolved pipeline for rigged characters and transferring stuff from previous meshes to high res meshes, and and that whole right. process back and forth. So
0: when it gets complicated, I think I'm with you a little bit. When it gets complicated with, you know, publishing assets to wish ones goes where. And so when your your read nodes become, you know, scripts to collect things from published databases and you're like, I don't know what's going on and you don't ha- you, you as an artist you start to lose a little bit of control over what's going on and you become much more of a button pusher. Doesn't Correct. feel as fun to me. <laughs> you know I mean?
2: No. And I've heard of jobs like that where you you open up the open up your project UI. You click like your tasks are right there for right. the shots you're working on. You click the the task. It opens up the scene. Mm-hmm. There's the what assets go into the shot, and you click the update current assets. That populates in your scene. Right. And then you you drop in your your lighting, and then you click render. And it's almost like what do we what are we doing here? Um,
0: why do I why do I even need to do, do that? Why, why can't I exist? make a script? Yeah. Yeah. I remember very, it was funny, there was a, I was working on Stealth, right? And uh, we a- were-
2: Angelina Jolie? No. I think no,
0: Angelina no. No, 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 no. no. Uh, uh, who was, uh, oh God, I don't even remember who was in Stealth. It was a terrible movie. I didn't even see it. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's, uh, anyway, uh, there was a bunch of, you know, it was planes, it wasn't about airplanes, right? And there was a bunch of shots of dialogues where you saw the canopy of the plane, right? Mm-hmm. And we would have a CG canopy of the plane, which would have all the little imperfections of the reflections in the in the canopy, right? And the reflections of the sky that was going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, so really there was no lighting to be done. It's just like, if you were assigned that shot, you had to render that canopy as a lighter. And all you were doing is you click, bring in the canopy and click render the canopy and then click publish the render of the canopy and it was just there was a lot of them and yeah very unnecessary right and so uh one of the lighters basically said i'm going to turn that into a button that does all of that for me as one thing and so we did that and so now all instead of like you got a canopy shot is like just click and you just put in the shot number and it was done it was submitted on the farm and do everything for you and so they found out about that and it's like, well, why are you guys doing this? Like, I don't know. Why are we doing this? And they said, so it went, so the person who tracked the canopy onto the plate, they said it went straight from tracking to compositing, like it just bypassed the entire pipe, you know, it's Did like. they give that
2: guy a raise?
0: No, they didn't give him a raise, but it was like, it was so, And it is funny. Like you do get those situations where it's like, okay, what am I doing here? I'm just updating and submitting. And the problem is if you find a problem. In a lot of those pipelines, you can't do anything. You have to tell the person that where, who had the problem to redo what they did. So you just sit there Correct. mostly bug reporting and not actually doing anything fun. Correct. kind of kind of sucks.
2: This is, uh, and I think the industry will end up going a lot more that way, where it's one one clicking on things to get what we what we need. Um, and certainly kit bashing is helping us you know achieve achieve art a lot easier um uh, well, well hold on
0: i, I i'm and here's why i'm going to argue against that and i'm going to argue for so you would consider yourself much more of, you know based on the places you worked such as you know uh, untried territory piximondo you would uh, and even sway much more of a generalist idea uh uh like concept to to doing things you you can do a little bit of modeling a little texturing a little this and that a scene yeah, assembly yeah yeah right
2: yeah from, as, a, as so a lighter for the most part but yes
0: right but I believe that the scene assembler or the or the, the the generalist is going to become more popular as a process because you then replace a bunch of people and
2: and I think it is I think you're right and these my colleagues that I know who are are most successful in VFX are generalists they right pick up different software. They get a little bit from this software, a little bit from that of, you know, run it through this tool because, you know, Zbrush has got a great remesher and like, they just go wherever they, wherever that the fast tech is to do their job. Right. Um, And that is the breed of artists that, that will, will succeed through all of this. I, I've never worked in a studio where somebody was a modeler. Um, it didn't exist, like, Right. I, I remember looking at portfolios, it was maybe somebody for, for digital domain at the time, but like he was a modeler and he had like, it's fantastic work, but he didn't texture, he just modeled. And I right. don't, I guess those people, they still exist, but I had never worked in an environment where it was so compartmentalized um, yeah. from the different disciplines. Everybody kind of like did a bit of everything.
0: Right, I remember when I was, thinking about getting into visual effects and I started interviewing this is back you know, when I was still an architect or, or coming out of architecture, I don't remember it was a long time ago and I had some interviews and I had my little portfolio and I was going to go interview at some you know, big studios at SIGGRAPH and they're like they're all, we're hiring, I was like great and he's like what do you do and I'm like okay, I know I have to pick something because that's the way they see things, right? And I was like, I yeah. I like lighting, I like texture, I like all of it, but I'm like, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna stick with, let's start with modeling. And it's like, I'm a modeler. And they're like, what kind of modeler? I'm like, what do you mean what kind of It's like, hard surface <laughs> modeling, character modeling. I was like, it's like, oh my God. It's like, <laughs> it's even more segregated than that. You know, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, okay, yeah, I guess, Hard surface modeling. <laughs> so
2: a smaller, a smaller studio really, really suited you then. Sway made a lot of sense.
0: Sway, well, you know what suited me, I think, is I, I actually what I liked about Sway, and something I really thank Mark for giving me the opportunity on this. Is Sway basically told me it's like, here, you do it, like, and I had been used to being told what to do for a long time and I was getting frustrated with it because I thought it was like this isn't efficient, right? This where's other ways of doing things. And I'd rather I'd rather hire good people who can solve many problems yeah. <laughs> rather than someone who's a really good modeler. Right. Because that, that person that's just not useful to me in certain cases, right? And then, so that just didn't didn't work for me. So I do think that that, that worked. And it's exactly why I hire people like you or, or, or whoever, right? And I work with people like uh, Greg Sedilis is an amazing generalist, right? He can do whatever, <laughs> you know? So the, so, so, uh, the yeah.
2: specialists, I think they, they do have their place. And sure. it, I think it's probably in projects where there's a lot of one thing. Um, short turnaround projects, most likely not, but if you have to model a lot of characters or texture, a lot of assets and you, you can run it through the the chain, then, then that that I think works really well yeah um, I think the specialists
0: yeah. that I like that I think are still valuable or like hard to replace are, are character animators good character mm-hmm. animators are hard to find uh, really good effects artists you know who really understand how to get the most out of Houdini or whatever mm-hmm. those are those are harder to, to, to sp- break out of that specialty yeah,
2: yeah. I, I I can't am- I don't think I know of an effects artist that does generalist work. Most of them, I think, are rather specialist in in right in their work, but I do
0: know generalists who says, "Oh, I just need a little bit of smoke here or I need a wave here or a little fluid sim that's like you know a little that's they can do that, you know what I mean, yeah so but but for you know good generalists can get a little bit of but if it's a big destruction shot, yeah you, know, you need a you need a effects artist there bringing the heavy guns, that. yeah, yeah, well, that's cool. all right. so you so how long were your Pixar? what were your what was your time frame there? I want to say like,
2: like four years. Really, a lot of it's a blur to me, my career. I don't know if you <laughs> ever have this experience. It's, maybe I'm suffering from some kind of memory loss okay. uh, issues in that regard, but s- so much of it, thinking back, feels like one kind of show. Right. I don't know if you, you have this thought about it, um, where they, yeah, one bleeds into another one. And okay. they all feel like the same kind of same kind of thing, right? But yeah, I, I'll, I'd say like four or five years, something like that.
0: Okay, I do remember. Yeah, I, sometimes I feel like I, was I like, oh yeah, I did work on that movie. I forgot about that. Yeah, like, you for, uh, you're
2: like, <laughs> thank you for reminding me. That was cool. Um, but uh, yeah. So from from Pixo, I think I from there I went to maybe more. More freelance work, more car commercials. Okay. Um, but the next big thing was was going to China and working with Sam at with in Phenom, Phenom Films. Okay, so, and so, then so in China as well.
0: So so tell us about that journey. Well, that sounds interesting.
2: It it was interesting. Um, they wanted like CG supervision for their artists. Okay. And I was Sam had already gone out there and was Who living is Sam? there. Sam Korsheed, he okay. is in an American, well, I think he's Egyptian and also British, but he, he was here in the States and mm-hmm. he worked on 2012. He was an effects artist and he went out to, ch- to move to China to work for this company and to be like a VFX soup for him.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and it was him and a, a studio of all Chinese artists doing VFX. Mm-hmm. Um, so he wanted some help and I thought it was really cool. And I started working with them remotely as, as a supervisor, pretty much.
0: But here the, in the United States?
2: Here in the United States.
0: So you didn't move to China?
2: I didn't move. I was considering it. Mm. Um, I ended up not moving. I went out there for almost half a year to work with okay. them. Learned as much Chinese as I could. Mm-hmm. Learned about the culture as much as I could. And thought at a point that you know maybe maybe I'll move here because the opportunity was really, it was really good. Like I wanted to do on-set VFX supervision, and I could do that there more easily than do it here in the states. And what I attracted
0: think, you to being on-set?
2: Um, I wanted more hands-on experience with with the work, and okay. I, I wanted to be more impactful to a project. Okay. Um, you know, so many shots or, or set extensions are just, you know, you kind of go through the motions, you're like, okay, the lighting matches, it works, camera track mm-hmm. works. Um, but to be involved in the project from the, the closer to the production, um, mm. intrigued me a lot. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, didn't end up moving out there decided to stay. But it was it was a great experience overall.
0: Okay. Yeah, well, that sounds cool uh but uh, so so what was the project you were working on film
2: projects Yeah, had a couple chinese films
0: okay so not not was it wasn't like anything that we'd know like what was that the wandering earth wasn't that one of the that wasn't one of the big ones i don't know I if don't, you worked on that show you know
2: they go through multiple names there's a okay. chinese name and also an english name so um one was called like motion another one was I don't know. Another one was called like Three Rivers in English, but I think it ended up changing. Okay. Um,
0: Now, what what kind of like what were what were the caliber of these movies? Or did did you find them interesting? Or
2: the the effects were interesting. I didn't know anything about the script. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The effects was cool. Um, Yeah. The artists were good. Yeah. Um, And what I thought was interesting about them was that, and something that stuck out to me about Chinese artists and Chinese VFX was I don't think they had the mentors I had and my generation had in VFX. Mm-hmm. So some things would be lost on them. Some kind of like like um, top level understanding or proper ways to iterate through things or even picking up technology but using it in like not the most ideal way or efficient way. Mm-hmm. And and I it kind of dawned on me that these these artists learned from the internet they didn't have a mentor a supervisor like 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 uh, i did with you or other uh, the other cg supervisors i had to show me like this is how you do it buddy um this is how how we have been doing it so that's something that did stick stick out to me that they were they were missing missing that kind of experience from from people that came before them Um, right but they were they were still good artists for, for sure
0: yeah, they didn't have hands-on stuff, basically, really.
2: Correct, correct. Yeah. Um, and they slept at their desks, which was really interesting, too. Wow. Yeah, they, um, yeah, when you'd see an artist sleeping at their desk, and you'd be like, is that guy okay? And they're like, yeah, he's just tired. And that was fine, culturally. Wow. So, yeah, definitely different place.
0: So they didn't go home during the day right? no they they
2: did go home at the end of the day they would just sleep okay. in the middle of their day at their desk okay yeah yeah
0: Wow all right uh, okay well that was that was cool so you said you did that for what a year and a half or so
2: that was two years
0: two years um, okay
2: six months there and then the rest of it working remote right
0: okay from, um, okay pretty much and making then,
2: master files and sending it sending it off
0: how was the time difference
2: it was very difficult. I would finish my day (laughs) at seven and they'd start their day. And then I'd be working, helping them like into the night when I'm not supposed to. Right. And then wake up in the morning and there's like a flood of emails and then keep you know do it all over again. Um, Yeah. And you'd have to, you'd have to guide people through an interpreter as well.
0: Oh my God. That's right.
2: So you prep a scene and, um, the first thing you learn when you do all that is, um, Guides, visual guides, here's a screenshot, Mm -hmm. you know, these markings should be this, not this, X, circle, and just lay everything out visually, type it up, and that usually translates really well.
0: Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think about, like, language on top of time zone must have been very challenging. It was,
2: it was. And live, being there live, I needed an interpreter with me to, like, kind of dictate, so- I'd say something they'd interpret and then the artist would look at me and I'm like, did that make sense? Uh, hopefully it did. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. I do remember, uh, I, I did a podcast with uh, a friend of mine, Asuka, and she was, I knew her when she first started and she's, you know, she's, uh, Japanese and she, she, we, she was an intern and I, we just hired her. And, um, uh, I just did a podcast with her, and she, you know, she speaks English now. But she, she told me, I said I always thought she was really, really shy, and she says it's not that I was shy; I didn't understand anything you were saying because <laughs> I didn't speak English at the time. I'm like, wow, you managed to do pretty good not knowing English, and so that's incredible. Yeah, so
2: she, she just nod and okay, she would just
0: nod and go, uh huh, and I would just point at things, and she's like, I think he wants this this way, and she would try to figure it out, and she did a good job. But the man it's is like, yelling
2: at the screen. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah it's funny no, how like it. just pointing at a few things can you know like oh there's something wrong here oh i can probably figure out what's wrong there you yeah. know what i mean like you you don't always need all the words to tell them what's this going
2: on. not this
0: right yep yeah
2: but there there is something with that i never understood and i i don't know if i came across it but with with saving face and in chinese culture and i i I always question whether if I whether I was saying something was was too aggressive okay. in the way that we'd talk about work. But I never it never came back to me, but it was it was on my mind from time to time. Right being out there and the way I'd critique work. You know, you'd have to say this is good, but like maybe we can do this as well. Right. Um, so I, I don't know how predominant it is with the with the younger generation, but it it mm. it's something that I I did keep in my mind while I was there.
0: Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I wonder what that's like because you know obviously here we, uh, some people are like, no, nah, this looks like crap, fix it. You know what I mean? I'm Like Surely. all right, you know, and some people are like, well, thank you so much for your help, but you know what would be really nice is if you were able to just. And this and he's otherwise. It's just a great. You know, you get the overly nice people, and they're like, just, yeah. 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 I I, I <laughs> kind of try me. to do like I say, it's good, but do this, this, and this, and then because I don't just don't have that kind of time to to miss, you know, there massage people. No, <laughs>
2: no. You you you've got five five more meetings that day, and you got to get through yeah. this these shots. Yeah, yeah So let's. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. So what did did you like being a supervisor?
2: I did. I did. Um really there's, you know, only a couple paths through this industry. You either specialize or you you supervise. Um right. and I I didn't want to spend any longer on on like noodling something than I had to. So yeah, right. supervision appealed to me more yes. um, than than specializing for sure.
0: Yeah, I could definitely see you doing that cuz that seems like something you would be you'd be good at. Yeah. That makes sense.
2: It's not it's not always easy, of course. Um, no, sitting in front of a shot of board is
0: really boring too. So like, all right.
2: Yeah, in your free <laughs> time, and then in your free time you get to play with tools or new things and like, right. you know, try to implement some new stuff. Um, or o-
0: opening other people's scene files to see what the hell happened. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, De- yep. debugging whatever, you know, whatever whatever mm-hmm. you need to do to get get through the project, of course. Right. Um but yeah, I I do enjoy it. Hopefully it's one project at a time though. Um, right. juggling multiple projects at a time does get crazy as it should for anyone really.
0: Oh sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's cool. That's really cool. Okay, so uh so uh wh- after you finished that, what did you what do what did you transition to?
2: I kept doing um more car commercials um more freelance gigs i think i back went back and forth between cars and and pixel mondo multiple times mm-hmm. um some tv got into there as well okay FuseFX effects and uh also a tv project at pixel mm-hmm. um but the next big thing was this current job that i have now mm-hmm. at happy mushroom working on virtual production actually I'll backtrack because it was it was a John Wick project that brought me into virtual production with or through Alex Nice.
0: Oh yes. Right. Nice.
2: So he So was, were you
0: working on the John Wick three with the glass the glass thing?
2: That's right, and, and other sets as well.
0: Oh, okay. So tell that story because that's gonna so, be a good one. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> he Alex had gotten into the union. Uh, art directors guilds and he was working directly for production designers yep um all of us on the other side of the fence are very proud of alex uh in getting into that side of production so he was doing he's very unique he's he's a concept artist but he's doing also 3d and vr and all these things that he's introducing directors and production designers to that they weren't Mm -hmm. aware of that they started really loving So he's doing more and more VR and he was working on John Wick and he needed help because he was trying to do 3D and concept at the same time. So he brought me in. It was about a four month project of building sets in Unreal and look deving environments for the production designer and the director and whoever else they wanted to throw into it. Nice. And that was so impactful to, to me and my career like that's a project i will never forget and will never be muddied or muddled with other projects because i felt like i was really part of part of the movie making process i Uh wasn't doing you know some kind of post work i was helping them construct these sets
1: right Um,
2: so that was my first kind of venture into real-time environment work
0: and this was for the glass uh building thing that was in John Wick 3 from what I remember. Yeah, it was, it was
2: uh, that environment and we had a couple other sets that went through various stages, mm-hmm. but then we more flushed out a, a Highlander set for a Highlander pitch that never got oh, okay. greenlit. It was a cool, cool idea of Highlander, like a modern day Highlander going to mm-hmm. the future and in the past and all that, but we would built out a set of a bombed out European 1940s city and put it in VR and it was it was awesome
0: it right it
2: was they were really they were really impressed and it's it's a, a joy to go to work every day and introduce people to VR or 3D that just like are so thankful and they just love it so much and they, they're like this is so cool right. can you give us more of it um so it was it was a really enjoyable experience
0: yeah. I think it's interesting because Alex, you know, I, I know Alex's story is pretty interesting. He obviously, you know, there's an, a, another episode as you remember with Alex, uh, mm-hmm. but he, you know, he, he was, did some concept art, et cetera, et cetera, but he, he, you know, was a production artist. And then he was also worked at uh, Magnopus, which he, where he picked up a lot of this VR stuff yeah, and picked up a lot of that idea and then he's like, okay, I'm gonna take everything I've done and put it all into like this beautiful new thing, which is like this and it really is the the, the 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 gem, the the nucleus of what I think virtual production is going to become. You know what I mean? Yeah. Virtual productions should start with like the 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 idea first, you know, like uh, that's you know, the core. The, the core, yeah. Um, so, which that's really cool. So, so, so that was your first foray, basically, into virtual production in some in some sense, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was more just you know building on environments in real time, but yeah, virtual. You know, it's an art department. It's production. Yep. It's Virtual production, so yeah, mm-hmm. it, it it all came together there. I hadn't because I don't think you guys it.
0: shot anything with those sets, but you were using them to design them and help build them and plan for where things are going to be shot, etc., etc. Correct. Et cetera, et cetera. Correct. Yeah. It,
2: it hit that core you're talking about of mm-hmm. assisting the production designer and the visuals by introducing you know 3D and VR to it
0: to the whole process. Right. Right, I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And so how did that lead to Happy Mushroom?
2: Not directly. I think I, I worked on a couple of the projects over the last mm-hmm. couple of years, bounced around, always had my mind on on real time. I think I even applied to a couple of places. Um Yeah, I I actually ILM interviewed me before they got into Mandalorian and I didn't get that job. It was for a supervisor for their real time new, you know, project. Mm -hmm. And I told them like, I am not, I am not the unreal specialist you are looking for. Um, There's that honesty uh, coming to bite you. Yeah. (laughs) And you know what? I'm like, should I have said something or or not said something? But you Mm -hmm. know what? I, I was, I was fine with it. I was fine with it. Okay. And it, And it's kind of funny because Happy Mushroom was recently looking for people uh, a few months ago, and they do the virtual production for Mandalorian. So Mm -hmm. it's like I got in, you know, on the other end, in another way. Mm. Um, So yeah, they were looking for artists. They were looking to bring people from VFX to real-time production. Mm -hmm. They had enough access to like game artists and real-time artists, and they wanted to bring in more... People from VFX um, mm-hmm. um, who are interested in learning real time and working in a virtual production environment. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how I got in.
0: So you got you got okay. That's cool. So when did you start there? How long have you been at Happy Mushroom then?
2: It's been since let's see. It's been two and a half months now.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah, so it's fairly good. fresh. And it's is that mainly what Happy Mushroom focuses on? Is is actual uh, like LED wall stuff, or is the, do they do other things, uh, other that's kinds of fo- production? That's their
2: focus. It's it's about it's primarily about the virtual art department for them.
0: Um, oh, cool! So first. it's perfect. It's yeah, it's very Precisely. close to what Alex was doing in a sense.
2: Correct. It it, it it's a pro, It starts in virtual art department. It starts with you know, look-deving all these sets and getting everyone mm-hmm. into headset and designing the environments and the shots. And then it leads into the finalizing work of of then like finishing the shot and then putting it on the volume. So, okay, the the studio focused primarily on the virtual art department core, really ingraining themselves into into the art department with the production designer.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. Well, that's 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 fascinating. That's cool. Now, there's probably you know you haven't been at the company very long. There's probably lots of projects and stuff that you can't talk about. So I'm not going to. Uh, ask you to Thank uh, you. violate anything that you don't want to violate, but I do. I, I am curious about your thoughts, your personal thoughts on the future of what this means in terms of filmmaking. How do you see that? Obviously, you've, what you did with Alex had an impact on you thinking about how you make movies. But now that you've been doing it for the, for Happy Mushroom for a while, what do you what do you, What are your thoughts now about the the future of filmmaking?
2: I think it, we're just going to get more of it, a lot more of it. Okay. Um, I heard someone recently say that, you know, only only 25% of that movie was shot on a, in a on a volume shoot, and I'm thinking only 25%. Right. You know that you know three years ago it was zero, and now it's 25. Meaning five years from now it could be 50 or 75% potentially. Right. I think right. there's a lot. You know, most of what we do in, in VFX, or most of what is done, if I had to guess, would be set extensions. Um, yes. The big blockbuster shots the huge simulations and destruction shots those will be the very last things if if ever i'm not sure if they can potentially Mm -hmm. ever come across to real time um but everything outside of that including um characters and uh of course set extensions and even some small effect stuff um will will be part of the production process they the filmmakers want to touch this work and have a say in it and not wait six months after they shoot it for some vfx studio to do something that's aside from their vision they want they want control over it and we want to do more filmmaking and be more impactful and not sit on the sidelines at the end so it's a everybody wants to be doing this uh together from the get go um so my my sense is that it's just going to become even more and more Do
0: you? Would you agree? Yes, I do. I do. I. Well, I have a couple of thoughts. Well, first of all, I think Ellie. I've been thinking about virtual production for a long time, but I have been thinking about it mostly as motion capture, visual effects stuff, right? So, Mm -hmm. along the lines of uh, 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 Avatar, Jungle Book, or. Lion King or whatever, those types of things. And that's what I was doing with Construct, et cetera, right? So, right. and I think virtualizing the camera is a very interesting thing. When I'm looking through a, a, a viewport of the camera in front of me, that's kind of an interesting little exercise. Like, oh, okay, so now I can see what I'm actually seeing, but everything inside here is synthetic, but I'm tracking it in real time and, and people are acting it out in front of me and that's getting translated. That's how I Correct. sort of see virtual production in a lot of ways. When I see LED walls, I'm thinking that is mainly, the way I see it is, is a replacement of the green screen, right? The green screen mm-hmm. was there before, and now it's just not there. Now, it is very impactful because not only does it replace the green screen, but it also replaces the work that has to go after you've shot the green screen, <laughs> yep. right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a nice thing. Uh, and it also provides, finally, for the people in uh, 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 the, both the DP and the, the the talent or the actors who are involved in in, in front of it, Provides them with context for what the hell's going on, which is before they were just acting in front of a green screen, and it's very challenging to act right. in front of a green screen. So I think it does offer a lot of benefits for the crew and for people. It's like this is how I want it lit. Oh, it's not quite lit right. Then we can move it and do that in real time, and that's wonderful. That's wonderful that they can do yeah. that.
2: Particularly for for the Mandalorian, they were dealing with like a fully reflective outfit. Yeah, <laughs> and and I'm thinking about like you know, like movies like The Oblivion. That Pixelmondo worked on, where they, you know, they'd have to have these rear projection of, of clouds surrounding that, like, you know, base they had up there, because everything was metal, and you can't green screen that. You needed it to be practically there for full right. reflection. Um, yeah. So there's there's downsides. I'm not fully aware of all of them. I know that you know some people wish that these screens got brighter, um, that there are seams potentially. Um, you, you can only get so close or only use certain kinds of lenses. Otherwise you start to see the, you know, the, the The pattern. Yeah. The pattern. Um, but that'll, that'll evolve and it'll all get better.
0: Yeah. So I do have a question about that because, and this is the little bit of the controversial thing, because I've had a lot of interviews with people who have been talking about virtual production in this area and their problem, especially during the pandemic is that you've got studios now who don't really understand anything about virtual production. And they're like, we are not able to shoot. So we're just going to Mandalorian it is what they've been saying. And I'm like, "Ah." just me. I just, just goes like this, you know, but Mandalorian is a, is a great, uh, in my mind, it's a great idea that works really well for that show. Now it can translate to other things, but you can't just "quote unquote" Mandalorian everything.
2: <laughs> and I'm smiling because um, I've talked I've talked to people about this specifically, and yeah. the Mandalorian it I've heard directly from people as well right. who, who don't understand as much of the process. Right. It's you know we've had to go come a long way in post in post VFX in educating our clients on what we can and cannot do what's practical and they've they've kind of learned learned that and, and know what they can expect from us and we, we know that you know their expectations are, are managed and right. that's taken some time it's taken I don't know 15 20 years so right. we jump to the forefront of production and we're gonna have to go through a whole new re-education process. Mm -hmm. Um, with people about you know how this stuff really comes together i think what people dismiss is how much iteration goes back and forth between practical and the virtual right you know when you do a post set extension that that integration of getting the lighting to match and you know all the scale to be right and that's that's what they're not considering in virtual production it's the back and forth between set design and dp and then the set and lighting and building out the whole environment and it goes back and forth and back and forth until you have a like perfect environment that works with a perfect set for for whatever they're you know whatever they want to construct so that back and forth they think they they don't even consider but we we really need to to spend more time educating um, educating clients on the process absolutely
0: yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting. And I think it's great. I think that, like you said, this is a, this is an, a new piece of technology and it's certainly something that's great to have in your arsenals as far as tools and definitely very popular. I think there are, there are probably hundreds of stages that people are building around the world now to try to there do are, that. So <laughs> there are. <laughs> there and are. I'm like, how
2: much does it cost to make a stage? Maybe I have my own stage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, you, you you know, you can't afford it. It's, yeah. it's, join ginormous yes. yeah everybody's building stages and and clients want to do it they don't right. know all what it is either but they want it um right because you know pandemic is really propelling a lot of it as well right um so yeah in it, it definitely interesting times and i think it is the future of our industry um of vfx well mm-hmm. the the post houses will will have less and less work and in fact they're build they're building virtual production, you know units themselves to bid on this kind of work. So they are transforming to do that kind of work. Sure. And we'll see less posts and everybody will kind of like transform into production.
0: Right. Cool. Well do you so, see I mean, is this something that real. you're excited about <laughs> being part of the virtual production world at this point?
2: Yes, yes, I am. Particularly because there's, there's so much development happening with the, the tech, with like Unreal, for instance. Mm-hmm. I mean, they got Fortnite money. They can just like throw, <laughs> throw money at it. And, and you know, they, they fund projects, they fund movies, they give out grants. And you're not seeing that anywhere else in, in the VFX world to that scale that I, that I can think of.
0: I'm wondering why they're doing that. Like, why, why, why have such an interest in the film industry? I mean, I, I kind of know why, but I'm wondering what your take is. <laughs>
2: I, I think they want to they want to take it over. They want to be relevant, or, or they just think it's cool. I guess. Um, yeah. I I guess ultimately, probably why they do it is they want to cut of the movies um, that use virtual production. Their current business model. I don't I don't know what percentage, but if you make a game over a certain amount of money, you pay them like 5% or something like that.
0: So- oh, you th- Okay, interesting.
2: If you use Unreal and they provide a tool set or support or infrastructure or whatever to build a movie, you're you're not paying for the software, you're building your virtual production off of it. Right. They get a 5% cut of, of that movie and now they ingrain right. themselves into the film industry.
0: Interesting, interesting. Yeah, well, we'll see, we'll see. It's interesting. Sure. All right. Well we've gone we've gone over an hour, but it was awesome talking to you, Matan. Always fun. It was so funny when you know we uh you know ran into you recently. I was like, Oh my god, I haven't spoken to Matan forever. Yeah. So uh very uh very exciting. I'm glad we could finally
2: that brought us yeah. together.
0: <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah, I definitely have an interest in that myself. But I do. I, I'm, I'm glad we're able to do that. Glad we're able to convince you to do it. And hopefully, this experience wasn't too painful for you. I know you were nervous about doing a podcast. Yeah,
2: no, it was. It was fine. The pain left me after five minutes, and I. That's, that's what I told rest. you.
0: It's like going into a cold body of water, and then you're. Just going <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Which I have done. And yes. You're absolutely right. Uh, Well, thank you. No, it was good to chat for sure.